Okay, we're going to begin a little short study. We finished the book of Judges and sort of the postscript to the book of Judges as we looked into the beginning of Samuel and uh, saw the negative side and then the positive side as God brought out Samuel who overcame in the end. And so we kind of concluded that last week and I'm going to do a little short series for the next, uh, well, for the summertime. I think it's four or five weeks we've got left, uh, five or six maybe. And so we're going to do a little short series uh, for the summer. And we're going to start with this topic, although it won't be the only one we cover. But we're going to start talking about Satan, the devil. The devil. We're going to talk a little bit about him and... See what the Bible says about him so we can learn to be aware and know what he, what he is. And uh, we're going to do that probably for a couple of weeks. And then we're going to go on to some other topics related to him, like hell. Uh, but the question we're going to start with is, who is he? Who is he? There are people in this world who say, well, there's just a general evil, and they call it Satan. Matter of fact, there's quite a few religions that embrace the idea of just a general evil throughout the world. That is not what we believe. That goes against what we believe. It's a specific person. He is a real person, uh, and we want to look at where he came from and what he does in particular so that we can be a little more aware of what we're up against because I think the things that we're going through now somewhat uh, require us to be a little better informed when it comes to this character because I think we're getting a real good look at his methods right now. And so we're going to talk about him starting in the book of Ezekiel. Now, as soon as we open the Bible in Genesis, we get to the third chapter and we meet Satan there for the first time in the history of human history. Now we're going before human history. We're going to go before Uh, There was uh, people in the world or even before the world as we know it existed in the form that it exists now. Uh, We're going back before that because Satan's existence was before uh, the beginning of the world. He was already here when the human race started with Adam and Eve. So we're going to go to these uh, couple of prophecies. Their prophecies usually predict the future, but prophecy is basically God talking about what's happening, and he's telling us uh, uh, what happened in the past here. And in chapter 28 of Ezekiel, chapter 28 of Ezekiel, we have uh, a passage here that applies to Satan, the devil. And uh, it will, if you read it, you'll say, well, that's not the devil he's talking about. Well, it is the devil, and we'll show you some of the reasons why. Uh, But what happens in history is there are characters who rise up that are very much a copy, if you will, of the devil. 
Uh, they do what he, he suggests. We've had people in our lifetime, like, uh, uh, not in our lifetime maybe, but Adolf Hitler. Now here's a guy who murdered people by the millions. Well, that's, that's sort of the way Satan works, and he becomes sort of a picture of Satan. And uh, we have eventually, coming into human history, Antichrist who is the perfect reflection of Satan. All right, so we had people, and one of these people in the history of the world was the king of Tyrus. And so I'm at chapter 28 of Ezekiel, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. So here was another bad fellow in history. He was an evil man, and he was a picture of Satan thus doing what he did. And say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Well, the king of Tyrus was never in the garden of Eden. Okay? <laughs> garden of Eden was disappeared long gone when he came around. But there was somebody in the garden of Eden. We know who that was. That was Satan. Adam and Eve had the run of the place as long as they did what they were supposed to. And they decided not to do what they were supposed to. And so now we've switched over the characters. The king of Tyrus being an evil a dictator, and he now has a reflection in him, which is the prince of darkness or Satan. Verse 13, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, sardis, topaz, the diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Or he was given special abilities. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And so we have the first description here of Satan. Who is he? He was anointed, first of all. That is, he had special abilities. Special abilities. That goes along with what anointed means. Someone's anointed. They have a special ability given them by God. And this person had a special ability. He was anointed. He was a cherub. A cherub or an angel. Sort of a type of angel is a cherub. All right. He was a cherub. The anointed cherub that covereth. And the third thing he did uh, uh, was cover. He covered. What does it mean that he covered? That he covered. Well, uh, let's see. It'll tell us a little bit what that is. I have set thee so thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou walked up and down the midst of the stones of fire. So here's a creature created by God, uh, and he walked up and down the stones of fire that is around the throne of God. Now we're going to look at a couple other creatures uh, that do the same job, covering. Uh, I back to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And we'll see what God did. 
what God is. And this is still this way. If you were to get a look in heaven today, right now, this very minute, you would see this. What you're about to look at is what you would see there going on there right now. <clears throat> Isaiah 6. Verse 1, the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. So we have these angels. These are called seraphim. A little different than the cherub somehow. Don't ask me how. Because <laughs> I can't tell you how. But we have an, an explanation of them as having six wings. And they're hovering over the throne of God. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that's all that they do day and night since the day they were created. They worship God hovering over his throne. They cover the throne. All right. Now, if we're going to take another look at Revelations chapter 4. Revelations chapter 4. We're going again to the throne where God is seated. Chapter 4, Revelation verse 5. Out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And don't ask me to explain that either. I know it must be quite a place, the throne where God is sitting. And there's lightning and thunders and uh, seven lamps. Nobody really understands that. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. Midst the throne, round about the throne, there were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. First beast was like a lion, second beast like a calf, third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts, each had of them six wings about him. Are these the seraphim? I don't know. And they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And so now we go from Isaiah, and we go way into the future as John the Revelator is telling what he saw in heaven, sees the same thing. He sees creatures hovering over the throne of God. He describes them by calling them an eagle and a lion and so forth because he doesn't really know what they are. They're just beasts or they're creatures who worship. And so they hover over the throne and God created them and says they never stop day and night. That's why I said if you and I went there right now, that's what you would see. You would see these creatures, some kind of creatures that they are creations of God made to worship. That's all that they do and they do it day and night and they never stop. And so what does that tell you? Tells me that God must be really something. We say, well, we can worship God. Could you worship him day and night, day and night, never stop? If you got a good look at him. 
<laughs> yeah, I think we would if we could get a good look at them. Uh, now the description of us is we see through a glass darkly. It's like we're looking through foggy glass at God. We don't really get a good look at him. These creatures are right over the throne, hovering over the throne, worshiping God continually, and they never stop. I want you to understand that that's what Satan was created to do, to hover cover the throne, hover over the throne, and there's stones, there's fire, we've read it about in both places, there's fire coming out from God's throne, and Satan was created to walk through the fire, to walk through the fire. He's an extraordinary creature. All right, now back to Ezekiel 28. We're at verse 15. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. So he was created by God to worship. That's what he was supposed to do. By the way, that's what you and I were created to do. You understand, you and I were created to worship. And the Bible describes God as seeking people to worship him. He's looking for people to worship him. Jesus said, the Father seeks worshipers. So the more we worship, the more we're doing what we were supposed to be, why we were created. Here's this being, this whoever he is, he's an angel of some kind, and he was perfect in all his ways, and then they found in him sin. And so iniquity, and so who is he? Well, he's the first recorded sinner. He's the first recorded sinner, the first person, first being that we know of to sin. We don't know that what else happened in the beginning times, but we know this one was a sinner and that he did something in that beginning time. Now, it doesn't tell us what exactly happened here. We'll find that in another place. But by verse 16, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Now we begin to get descriptions of what he is like, and he is full of violence. He's described as being full of of violence. He's extremely violent. You've never met anybody that violent. You say, well, I've known some real kooks. <laughs> yeah, me too. All right. And some pretty violent people may be, uh, but not like this one. This one is more violent than any person, any being ever was. He's full of violence. And so to be around him is extremely dangerous. Understand, he's very dangerous. He's full of violence. And therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. So God said, you are not going to do what you did and stay here as a worshiper. You're gone. You're out of here. And here's what he did, verse 17. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. And so over here, when we talk about uh, who he was, he was beautiful. The creature of hmm, unimaginable beauty and 
You say, well, does he look like that now? Well, beauty comes from inside as much as it does from outside, I think. And he ain't got any inside at all. He's all, like we used to say, crabby apple seed. Or wasn't, there, wasn't there one of those characters? <laughs> rotten to the core. Crabby apple seed was rotten to the core. This, this uh, creature is rotten to the core, but he was very beautiful, and thus he'd been lifted up. And so the first sinner uh, was full, filled with pride. He had pride. He looked in the mirror and he said, Wow, aren't I something? He was something, that's true. Uh, thou hast corrupted thy reason by, <coughs> corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. Or he looked at himself and said, I am really something. Uh, and uh, then he became flawed in his mind. And so he says, I will cast thee to the ground, will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. And so uh, let's go on. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thy iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore I will bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, and it shall devour thee. I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and shall never shalt thou be anymore. He's going to his own destruction because the fire came out of inside of him. That is, because of his violence and his pride, it would eat him up and destroy him. And he says, when people see what became of you, when people look at you in the beginning, hovering over the throne of God, worshiping God, and look at what you've become, they'll say, look at you. What happened to you? Look what happened to you. And so that's the first sinner in the Bible that's recorded is him. Now, we're going to go look a little bit farther because we've got to look a little bit deeper. Isaiah chapter number 14. You can always remember these two. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. That's how you remember the two main passages about Satan. 14 times 2 is 28. Isaiah 14, we'll have another description. And this time we get his name, name that he had given to him. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? And there's the name of Satan, the devil, called Lucifer here. Uh, Lucifer, son of the morning. How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. There it is. How many times does he say, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Five times, I will. 
This is what I'm going to do. Ascend into heaven. Exalt my throne. Sit upon the mountain of the congregation. Ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like God. And so there was the ultimate downfall. He's full of violence. And he was full of I will. I will. That I will is a disease that's a very contagious one. It's a very contagious disease. It says, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to do this myself. And that's the warning that we have. So what he said was, I can do this. I'm in the ultimate. I'll be like God. In other words, God won't make the decisions for my life. God's not running my life. I'm running it. Now that's the ultimate human position. That's just what humans say, the same thing. God's not running me. I'm going to run me. I'm going to run my life, decide how it goes. Now let's take a look. We'll keep our finger there because we're going to come back to that. But uh, over in Genesis chapter 3. So we found out that he was full of pride. He's full of violence. And he was full of self-exaltation, self-more-than-confidence, self that was a rebellion against God. I'm going to do this and I will not have God telling me anymore what to do. I'm going to be like God. Now watch this. Verse chapter 3 of Genesis verse 1. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And he said to the woman, yea, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So here we have entrance in of Satan takes up a serpent. How exactly did he do it? Well, uh, I'm sure he was able to get his spirit inside of the snake. The snake was, it said, more subtle or more clever or more uh, cunning than other beasts. Then he chose this creature to talk to Eve. And the woman said to the servant, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So the question is, did God say, did God really say you can't eat of that tree? Did God say that? And she said, Yeah, here's what he said. Don't eat it. If you eat it, you'll die. Just like that. The serpent said unto him, you shall not surely die. All right? So now we have the third quality about him. He's a liar. He's a liar. He's a big liar. That's not true, what he said. Uh, God said you shall die. He said, no, you won't. God's not telling you the truth. For God doth know the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. There's the ultimate liar, because he said what? I'm going to be God. And he got thrown out on his ear. 
God said, you can't stay here anymore if you're going to behave like that. And so he threw him out of that worshiping place in heaven. He lost his position as one of the chief worshipers in heaven. And now he says, you can be like God. He knows you can't. So he's a liar again. So he's lying about God, first of all. And, and here's what you need to know about Satan. He's going to lie to you. Everything comes out of his mouth is a lie. And one of the lies that he wants you to believe is that God doesn't really care about you. And people once in a while come to me and say, God doesn't care about me. I say, no, 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 no. Don't, don't go there. That's one of the original lies, all right? And he's, he says, look, God doesn't, wants to keep you in a submissive position. He wants to keep you down. He doesn't want you to become all that you can be. And so he's keeping that fruit, which is the knowledge of good and evil, away from you. And so uh, God is not really being fair with you. I'm here to make you all you could ever want to be. So he's the great liar, and uh, he knows better. Look what happened to him. And so he says, you can be like God. You can determine your own destiny. You can be in control of your life. You take charge. You do it. You run your life. That's like right out of the book of psychology today. (laughs) Take charge. Have confidence in yourself. Step up. You can be in charge. Nobody needs to tell you what to do. You can accomplish what you want and don't let God go holding you back because God knows that you can really become a much more full orb creature if he keeps you under than if he keeps you under his thumb. God doesn't want you to succeed. And that's what Satan said right there in the beginning. You, you need to know that that's a lie. That he's more than willing to use quite regularly. That's a lie that he says all the time. Look at John 8. John chapter 8. Jesus occasionally gives us little comments. So that we know about Satan. John chapter 8, verse 44. He's talking to the Jews. You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do, or you take after the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and a father of it. And so whenever lies are out and about, he's, that's where he is. He's there telling lies and everything comes out of his mouth is a lie. So that part of his 
character is full of violence, and he's a liar. He will always lie. And uh, he knows it's not possible for Eve and Adam to become like God, but he's lying to them about that, trying to urge them. So we have to understand that something about the devil. This is important for you and I. He does not fight fair. There's no fair fight with the devil. He'll be any dirty trick, any lie, anything he can do to fool you, he'll create any kind of storm. Because what he wants to do most of all is come between you and God. And if he can put up a great big old dust storm so that you can't see God's face, he'll come in and create all sorts of havoc and all sorts of horrible things, and he'll create as much as he can so that he will, uh, you can't see God. Now, behind the storm, behind the clouds, behind all the dust, God is still smiling. He's smiling at you. But you begin to think, well, God, I don't know, God's hard to get along with. <laughs> God's hard to get along with. No, he's... He's lying to you. He wants to destroy any relationship between you and God. And he wants to start that by a very uh, subtle comment. God doesn't care about you. Who are you? Who are you that you think God cares about you? Is there anything special about you? No. What are you going to tell him? Is there something special about you? No, nothing special about me. Then it's probably true, you know. You're nothing special. Why should God pay any attention to you? And what do we do? We point to that cross and say, there it is. That's my answer to you. My answer to you, Satan, is on that cross, he died for me. He did that just because of him, not because of me. So that's something we remember that Satan wants to destroy your image of your your thoughts about God. He wants you to think negative thoughts about God. Now he's not going to attack you if you don't pose any threat to him. There's plenty of Christians that he's just going to say, "You're doing fine all by yourself." What does he want to do? Well, one of the things that Satan really wants to do is he wants to uh, hurt God's name. All right? He wants to embarrass God through his children. And so he wants to hurt God's reputation through Christians. Through people who say, well, God is my father. So if he can get you to lose your temper. If he can get you anyway, he can find a way to get hold of you and get under your skin. And that's what he's going to do because he wants people to look. And, and believe me, people fall into that. I remember there's a guy at work and he, he sold a stereo. He was 
told everybody he's a Christian every day. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian every day. And he sold a stereo to a kid. And the kid came in the next day and said, hey, stereo told me don't work. You cheated me. And he said, if you say that again, I'll kill you. And he walked out. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, what do I say now? I didn't have to worry about it because the old guy sitting next to me said, there's them Christians like David and Goliath, they're always going to kill each other. (laughs) (laughs) And wasn't that the truth? Wasn't that the truth? See, uh, Satan loves for Christians to spoil God's reputation. And so he's going to do that. You better understand something about you. He hates you with everything in him. He hates you. There's not one of you is exempt from that. He hates you. He absolutely hates you. If you're a Christian, he hates you more. He hated you before you were anything because, number one, you were made in God's image. And so when he looks at a human, he can see the image of God and he hates God. So naturally he's going to hate you. So Satan hates you with all of his heart. He hates you because you're in God's image. He hates you because of that. And uh, he hates you uh, because you are going to show the image of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do, right? We have the image of God. We're created in the image of God. Something about us that's a likeness of God. But when we ask Christ to be in our heart and we start to live the Christian life, then we are supposed to reflect the image of Christ. That is, you're supposed to behave and have your character and your actions reflect Christ. So what was Christ? He was loving and kind. That's what you're supposed to be. What was Christ? He loved the truth. That's what you're supposed to be. We are supposed to reflect that image. Every time you reflect that image, he hates you more. Now he really hates you. And he wants to kill you. That's what he wants to do. He wants to kill you. He's very violent and he'd love to kill you. And the only reason he hasn't yet is because God stopped him. If, if God pulled his hand away, then he could kill you. And you say, how do you know that? Book of Job, right? Book of Job. Satan comes and says, if you give me that Job, I'll work him over good and he'll curse you. And he says, go ahead, but don't touch him. Don't touch him. So you know what he did. Just to show you the violence of Satan, the uh, first thing he did was destroyed all his herds, one after another after another. All of his hired help was murdered, and all of his herds were taken. And then uh, that wasn't enough. He dumped the whirlwind on and uh, came in on the house, and all ten of his children were, were killed in one violent accident. And here comes one guy. We just lost all the sheep. They're all gone. Here comes, well, he's talking. Next guy comes, all the oxen are dead. Here comes the next one, all the camels were stolen. And then here comes the last one, all your children are dead. Now that's a violent hand. 
can't understand. That's a very violent hand that did that to Job. And God says, you can't touch him, but go ahead. And when those people all came with those terrible reports, and in a matter of a minute and a half, he lost everything he had, everything, including 10 children. That's how violent Satan is. And so uh, Job said, what? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's why God allowed Satan to test him because God said he's the best guy on earth. Well, wouldn't you like if God said that about you? That Job was really something. He's the best man on earth. I got nobody better than Job. And God pointed out, said, he's the best guy I've got. So go ahead, do your worst. He did his worst. And then uh, Satan came back and said, well, if you let me go a little farther, he'll curse you. He said, go ahead, go a little farther. And he covered him with big boils, great big boils, infections all over his skin. And he's taking a piece of pottery and he's sitting there and scraping himself when you see him next, he's scraping the pus off of his body. Now tell me what you think of Satan. Nice guy, huh? He's scraping the pus off of his body, and they come, three friends come to help him, and they, he's so bad, they can't speak. They don't say anything for a whole week. Can't nothing to say for a whole week. They just sit there. That's a very violent character that did that right? and he would love to do that to you or to me there's been times when I thought he wants to get me he's going to try <laughs> and I think God stopped him when I was first getting serious about God and thinking about God beginning to God was beginning to stir me up I was sitting changing a tire on my camping trailer and being young and stupid, I had my legs underneath the trailer and I'm changing the tire and all of a sudden it started to fall. And I said, I'm done. It's going to fall right on me. Nothing I can do. And all of a sudden it stopped right there. I looked down. I had a jack sitting on the ground next to me and it landed exactly on the jack and stopped. And I said, thank you. I don't know how that happened, but thank you. You just saved me. Otherwise, I'd have been stumpy. Both legs underneath the camper. God's, God's done things to preserve me. And I had a time when I was really in it with Jehovah Witnesses. As a matter of fact, all kinds of people. I was talking to any cultist I could find for uh, three, four counties around. And... Uh, they really got into it with them. And I was just finishing up a big session with a bunch of Jehovah Witnesses. And we got through to them. We really got through. And on the way home, I was driving along and I saw this glowing thing. And it was coming through the field and it hit the side of my car. And I... First, I thought it was just an optical illusion, and then I heard it go whack on a car. And I stopped and I looked. There was nothing. There wasn't 
like nothing happened. Because nothing could happen. You understand? When you're in fighting against Satan's kingdom, he'd like to throw rocks at you. It's all he can do. But God can protect you and those kind of things too. So God's saved my life, I'm sure, many times in the past. And, uh, and he's going to do it again because Satan wants to kill you. Get it, figure it out. He wants to hurt you. He wants you to die. If he can kill you off. Now, like I said, there's a, a story. Leonard Ravenhill, one of the great preachers of the past uh, generation, he said there was a little old English lady, and she came to Leonard Ravenhill and said, You've got to pray for me. He said, What's the matter? She says, the Satan's been after me all day. And he said, well, what were you doing? She says, I was baking tea cakes. And he said, well, I know, he particularly hates tea cakes. <laughs> and he said, lady, he don't know you're alive. He doesn't know you're alive. If you're out there stirring up Satan's kingdom and you're going to make a mark for Jesus Christ, then he's going to know you're alive. And he's gonna, not going to fight fair. And he's going to throw all his venom at you and try to hurt you and do whatever he can to destroy you. And when the church gets serious, and when the church gets filled with the Holy Ghost and begins to function under the power of the Holy Spirit, then he's going to try to hurt that church too. And I'm pretty sure that's where we are at right now understand that if he could shut the church down that's his biggest enemy and Jesus said I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it all right so if he can shut the church down find a way to do it that's what he's going to do God's promise is, no, you will succeed if you stick with me. If you want to be filled with the Spirit's power and know the Spirit of God with you, and then you don't have to worry about the devil. All right? He's not going to succeed. He's not going to do that. And so he wants to convince you that God doesn't love you. God's not on your side. He wants to wipe away that view of God where you see him smiling at you. He wants to do that. He wants to get rid of that. And he wants to do that by putting into you what was in him, that is, that disease uh, which has infected the human race. I will. I will. I can do this on my own. I will. And so he's a very violent character and he won he, he doesn't need to kill you if he can destroy you a little at a time too he can do that either way he's happy all right now uh, let's go back to Isaiah 14 pick up where we left off We just finished 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Satan said, I'm going to be like God. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. All right, so you're going to end him up in hell. And we're going to talk about more of that in the next few weeks. 
but he's made to go to hell, and hell was made for him. To the sides of the pit, people think, well, you go down there, he's in charge. No, he's not. He's not in charge of hell. He's just another prisoner there. He's not in charge. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee, consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, and did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, and opened not the house of his prisoners? Is that him? That can't be him. This is nobody. Look at him. He's a nothing. He amounts to nothing. And so Satan is not in charge of hell. He's just another prisoner there. Matter of fact, if you see him there, you'll say, you made all that trouble? You? Look at you. And so he'll be entirely stripped of his power. One thing you must remember, he may not fight fair. He's extremely violent. He wants to murder you. He'll lie. Everywhere out of his mouth will be a lie to you. That's the way he is. But... You must understand he is not the great power up there challenging God. That is not who he is. God is not challenged by Satan. There's no challenge there. God doesn't up there saying, what am I going to do with this character? No, no. He's got him well in hand. He only allowed Job to do certain things. And God said... You're not allowed to do any more than that. And God controls him. And God allows it to be. Now, here's the thing about it. Is Satan had a choice. Do I stick with God and be the worshiper? Or do I rebel? And so he had free will. He had the ability to make a choice. Now, sometimes people say, well, angels aren't like humans they don't they can't decide no no they can decide and there is something in the bible revelations chapter 12 book of revelations last one in the bible chapter 12 Revelation 12, verse 3. There appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered to her to devour her child as soon as it was born. And so we have this old red dragon, Satan, he's talking about. And it says here that he drew a third of the stars of heaven to the earth. And some people think, and I think that's probably what it means too, uh, is that a third of... The creatures in heaven joined him when he rebelled and set, tried to set himself up as God. There were followers. He was the most beautiful creation and very uh, stunning creature. And uh, when he made that choice, there were others that went along with him. 
And some people say that this is trying to tell us that one third of the angelic realm or the creatures that are in heaven joined Satan in his rebellion. They were all tossed out too with him. Who are they now? Well, the Bible says there are angels and principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And that there is a system in the world that runs evil. And he, it says, is the prince and power of that system. And so we know that there are demons and there are evil creatures and dark creatures and spirits and they were probably the ones that were cast out of heaven with him and so he had a considerable following he wasn't all by himself uh, he took people with him and he was still trying to get as many as he can uh, to be destroyed don't think he doesn't believe in god of course he believes in god more than you do he doesn't love god he hates God, but he knows God has put him in his place. He tried desperately to stop him on that cross. So maybe we can destroy him on this cross. And he hoped to do that. And when Jesus died on the cross, well, he thought, got him, I got him. And then three days later, whoops, because it says that when Jesus rose from the dead, that he destroyed principalities and powers and made a show of it openly, triumphing over them in his cross. Or that apparently single-handedly he fought his way across the universe uh, before his resurrection and destroyed a whole lot of principalities and powers. And the phrase that says made a show of it openly is one that kind of hunters use. You know, we shot the woodchuck, we hung him on a fence. So there you go, we hung him up on a fence, look what I did. Well, that same phrase is used that he made a show of it openly, that across the universe there was people all over the place. Creatures, evil creatures, were hung on the fence, if you will. And the power was so drastic that we know it ripped a hole in the dimension. As he descended into hell, he left this dimension and descended into hell and then ascended up to heaven. And that he ripped a hole apparently in that dimension of death and people fell out of the hole. So what do you mean by that? Well, it says that after the resurrection, there were people who had died who were seen walking around the streets of Jerusalem. Where'd they come from? Well, they were dead. They were in the realm of the dead, which Jesus tore to shreds when he went down there. And they had a chance to kind of fall through the cracks. And they were walking around in the streets of Jerusalem. People saw Aunt, Aunt Tilly and Uncle John. Look at this. Where'd you come from? Well, he had to leave. They stayed around for a while, said, just dropping in on the old hometown, see how you're doing, and then they left. Uh, but it was an amazing display of power as he brought...
to their knees the powers of darkness. So don't think that Satan says, I'm up here and maybe I'll win this. He doesn't think that at all. He's been thoroughly beaten already and he knows it. So why does he continue, you say, if you're already beat? Because he wants to take as many people down with him as he can. Because he hates you. He hates you with a passion. He hates the church of Jesus Christ. And I have no doubt that behind the whole COVID thing, if you could look at it through God's eyes, you would see that it's got nothing to do with disease. It's got nothing to do with that. If you could look at it through God's eyes, you would say that obviously the, the ones that he was after was the church. If we can stop the church in its tracks. And I think it's been almost amazing that he accomplished that. There's a lot of people just quit. They just quit. And churches all over just closed their doors and, and went home. And that's what he wanted. Even with the promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ, they hung up their swords on the wall and went home. So I have no doubt that when we someday get into heaven and we get to look back and we look at what this is, it's got nothing to do with disease. It's got nothing to do with it. It has to do with the struggle against God and the universal plan. And there are people that Satan knows uh, will love to say, I will. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to run things. And he's got plenty of people out there now saying, I'm going to run things and I'm going to do this. And John chapter 10, as we see some of the outcome of what we're watching. John chapter 10, Jesus describes it real well. Verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And so we see the mark on society of those three things to steal and to kill and to destroy. It's as clear as a bell. They're shooting people all over the country. Shooting people in the cities is unbelievable. The rate is up hundreds of percentage points. They're just shooting everybody they can. They steal, kill, and destroy. That's the mark that's on society right now. And as, as Satan flexes his muscles and tries to get society to do it. The best thing he can do is shut the church up and then pump up his followers into a violence. Right? Violence. It's, it's amazing the violence that we see. And so don't think that this is just a government thing. That's not what it is. It is the prince of darkness exercising his power over the world and getting the world to do what he wants by whispering in their ear, you can be like God. 
stand up and say, I'll do what I want. Right? And by goodness, they're doing it out there. And so what are we going to do? We're going to say the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus Christ, and we're going to stand up and keep doing what we know is right. We will never surrender. My father used to <laughs> be riding down the road on a tractor. Charge! Charge! <laughs> and then he'd say, we will never surrender. No matter what he was doing. That's a good thing. Church of Jesus Christ has to say, we will not surrender. We will never surrender. We're going to fight this. And that's, well, why do you think the last thing on the list to come back is the church? It's not an accident. It's not an accident. And so when we talk about Satan, we're thinking about who he is. Uh, he's, he's up right now raising havoc and creating what he does best, violence and destruction and murder and hatred and the country's full of it. And the church's hands are tied behind her back. All right? And so we need to say, I'm not going to take it. Because he can create an awful mess and he can create things, but he can't hurt you. Understand? Unless you let him. He can't hurt you. He can't touch you. You keep with God, and you keep that face-to-face -face relationship with God, and you know he's smiling on you, and you sing, and you worship. And when they said they're going to stop singing, I said, that'll be the day. Never around me are we going to stop singing, all right? We're going to sing because that's what they love to stop, like to take. He wants to take away your joy. He doesn't want you happy. He wants you miserable. All right? And God is saying, come on, I'm with you. I will watch over you. I will protect you. He does not have the power to harm you unless you come over and start saying, I will. And another thing I'm going to go into more in the next couple of weeks is the lies that he tells us that we need to be cautious Listen, make sure we hear, because he's very clever at turning people against each other. That's where he's really good. And if we look at the history of the church, over and over and over again, he turned the church against itself. I got to stop. So. Something we could talk about a long time, and we will. We'll continue on next week. Thank you.